0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Joining me, though, uh, on the soapbox at six here on The Hard Shoulder today, uh, I'm delighted to welcome to studio David Quinn, a columnist with the Irish uh, Independent, amongst other things. And David, I understand it is your belief that um, in Ireland there is. Ongoing, a a systematic shutting down of debate is that fair
1: uh, on a lot of issues? Yes, and thanks for having me on, Karen. Um, so I was saying to the producer beforehand. Uh, so three of the issues which which are coming up now and did come up, uh, for example, COVID. If you questioned, particularly during the lockdown periods, COVID policy, you were accused of being a COVID denier. And even you don't care, granny dies. So the real kind of levels of emotional blackmail. And actually, in fairness to this show, I remember you were one of the few who was kind of questioning whether the restrictions were going too far. But you were kind of fairly isolated voice in that time. And then we have an extremely hot topic like the immigration debate which couldn't really be held for years and years and years uh, because people were fearful of being accused of racism. And obviously there are genuine racists who are taking part in that debate and are opposed to immigration and asylum seekers and what have you. But it's still a way of stopping very sensible questions from being asked. And then a third one is climate policy. So you question climate policy, you're immediately called a COVID denier or a science denier. But in fact, like with the COVID debate, you're actually wondering well what proportion like what response to climate change is proportionate and what kind of trade-offs are involved when you're trying to reduce carbon emissions by half by 2030 and so all of those debates kind of and more take place under uh, conditions of pretty extreme moral and emotional blackmail that makes it very hard for the ordinary person to stand mm. up and voice an opinion or voice an objection
0: so who who are the people who do the blackmailing?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of it takes place in social media, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, social media isn't, as you know, an extremely nasty place um, where accusations come in thick and fast. But it's, but it's also that um, uh, you just on an issue. I mean, just winding back almost four years to the outbreak of COVID, uh, the whole thing was okay. We go into lockdown, and first lockdown understandable because we didn't know what we were facing. But as things go on and you see what other countries are doing, for example, Sweden, which never had a full lockdown, had restrictions, Mm. but not a full lockdown, you still weren't really allowed to ask the questions. And they were rarely debated on air. And in fact, during COVID, the main voice of opposition to government policy didn't come from people saying this is all too restrictive. It came from people saying, let's be like New Zealand and go for zero COVID and close the border completely. So if you remember when there was the second big outbreak after Christmas 2020, uh, we introduced a system whereby anybody coming in, for example, Italy, was being quarantined in hotels. And you had the Italian and French ambassadors saying, we're not doing this to your citizens. You're locking up our citizens. This is simply bonkers. So the only opposition really allowed during that period was from people who were saying, we're not going far enough. And again, you're in debates and people are saying, well, do you not care if granny dies? And all you're tr- actually trying to say is, well, there's costs to continual restrictions. So we kept schools closed longer than anywhere. We kept the construction industry closed mm-hmm. longer than anywhere. We kept ch- churches closed longer than anywhere. And all of that should have been debated. People's livelihoods were badly affected. I remember you were sympathetic to restaurateurs, um, uh, because they were being, you know, very badly hurt by the whole thing. And if you, like going back further, Celtic tiger, you couldn't question that. I mean, I mean, like Bertie Hearn just basically got uh, really stuck into people who wondered this property boom is really going to keep going. Are we going to have a soft landing? And you're accused of jeopardizing the national economy. And so if you remember afterwards, when the whole bubble burst and it just resulted in economic catastrophe, you had various reports out, including from, I think, a guy called Nyberg that said we succumbed to groupthink. Yes, And I think we didn't really learn that lesson because I think we still succumb to groupthink on too many issues yeah. and dissenting voices tend to be drowned out.
0: I, I, I can understand how that would apply to COVID. I think certainly there was a prevailing narrative that people subscribed to and there wasn't a huge amount of dissension mm. uh, from it. And I'd include the broadcast media largely in that as well. You know, there mm-hmm. was there was a feeling we were in an emergency and let's listen to what Tony Holohan and Neffet have to say and just follow their advice full stop. And that was the end of the conversation. Uh, is, is that necessarily true on climate? I mean, it's true on Twitter. But for example, say the IFA or the ICMSA, they, they would be critical of some policies around our climate targets and emissions targets when it comes to agriculture. Um, and they would regularly be heard in the airwaves or quoted in the newspapers you know, cr- criticising that. And yes, on social media, they're, they're called climate deniers, but
1: they're not in, in, in other circles. Well, you don't tend to hear people coming on from um, uh, some of these kind of, we say, friends of the earth getting mm-hmm. asked tough questions. And so, for example, when they say, oh, when Eamon Ryan says, we need to cut emissions by half by 2030, which is only six years away, Um is he really asked hard questions about the feasibility of that? And also, you get many headlines which kind of... Um, I think he is. Oh, I don't know. Well, OK. Um, well, I think uh, it's put to him that, uh, that they're,
0: that they're uh, unrealistic. Maybe there's not necessarily detailed questions asked about how to hit it. But I think it is put to him fairly regularly that there's not a snowball's chance in hell that will actually hit any of those Well,
1: when he targets. was over in Dubai recently, was a COP28 that was on? Um, and all the talk was phasing out fossil fuels. Mm. And I think they said transition out of fossil fuels was the word they ended up going for. Um, but I didn't hear him being asked too often, when by? Because that's a crucial question. I mean, like, what is a realistic time frame here? And also, what are the costs of transitioning away? Because um, uh, at the moment, the transition to renewables is adding to our electricity bills. Now, I remember I went, to, I went around to a couple of the agencies recently and I said, by how much? And I was put around from Billy to Jack in a big way because nobody seemed to actually know, at least nobody who was willing to talk to me, what is that adding to our electricity bills? This is a kind of question for Eamon Ryan. What is the transition to renewables currently adding to the ordinary person's electricity bills? Uh, and I haven't really seen an answer uh, to that question. But the climate debate does remind me of the COVID debate to this extent. So, so if you remember during the uh, COVID debate, they kept on producing these models. And that was from best case to worst case scenario. Okay, mm. but... Um, a lot of media kept on highlighting the worst case scenarios because, of course, that's the most sensational headline. And the worst case scenarios then justify the most drastic restrictions. And you see something similar happening in the debate about climate change. So the UN IPCC comes out with these reports every few years and they come out with various climate change scenarios from best case to worst case. But it's the worst case that are always getting highlighted and that doesn't get challenged enough. So obviously, if we're heading towards the worst case scenario, it justifies very drastic measures, just like during COVID. But if, in fact, we're not heading towards the worst case scenario, we're heading towards more like a mid-range scenario, then it doesn't justify some of these really drastic measures that we're bringing in. And I don't hear that being discussed enough. So there's a programme on a few weeks ago on RTE, what was it called? Tomorrow's World 2050 or something. Yeah, it was this Mark kind Little of, presented it. Yeah, a yeah. drama documentary kind of thing. And it was saying 2050... Um, the sea levels around Ireland would have risen by half a metre. But what it didn't tell us was that is based on the absolute worst case UN scenario. Mm. All right, so we hear a lot of talk about misinformation. But I think if we're not being told there's different scenarios and what keeps getting highlighted is the worst case scenario, that amounts to scaremongering.
0: And and, and it's your contention that if you or me or somebody else were to go on the airways and start talking about the IPCC's best case scenario, the debate gets shut down, or rather you get accused of... of climate denial. Climate denial, is it? Yeah,
1: that... but it's a strange kind of phrase because what exactly does that mean? But it seems to mean you're denying climate change happens. So, I mean... Um, it's probably a
0: legacy, I guess, of, of, of the fact that up until a few years ago, you know, there was kind of maybe a sizable portion of people who did deny the reality yes. of it.
1: Yes. Um, uh, but nonetheless... Um, uh, I mean, this, you know, when I get into these kind of virtual kind of barroom brawls on social media with people about this sort of stuff, and I say to them, well, OK, which UN scenario do you believe? And this tends to throw a big spanner in the works because they don't even notice different UN scenarios. All right, there's about four that they keep on publishing when they come out with these big reports. And people don't seem to be aware, like during COVID, there's various scenarios. And, and you see, you don't have to be a scientist uh, to ask during COVID, well, which of those scenarios is most likely to come true? And you don't have to be a scientist to say, well, OK, what restrictions are proportionate? Mm. I mean, these are actually political questions and value questions ultimately. We're, and we're, same during the climate debate. Yeah. And uh,
0: I mean, we're kind of moving off the topic of, of the fact that these debates are shutting down and having the debate. But I want to ask you this nonetheless. Yeah. What's your response to those people on Twitter or Eamon Ryan if his answer is, surely we prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Is that not? Uh,
1: yeah, that's the precautionary principle. Uh, but I think that actually works both ways, because again, if you take the COVID debate, you can overshoot in your policies and end up doing more harm than good. So you can end up keeping schools closed for too long and cause a hell of a lot of educational damage, particularly to people from disadvantaged backgrounds. And a lot of those kids have not returned to school. But it's quite a remarkable fact that there's people who have permanently not returned to school as a result of the, restri- of the restrictions got through out of school so long, they never came back. So you can actually, <clears throat> because you um, keep on accepting the worst case scenarios and keep applying the precautionary principle, you can bring in policies that do more harm than good. Mm. So you could do the same thing on the climate one. Now, I mean, like the average person is being asked to retrofit their home, very expensive. Buy an electric car, very expensive. Bring in heat pumps, very expensive. Um, carbon tax, expensive. Um, Um, in order to make a transition um, their electricity bills are becoming more expensive which, they, uh, which has been happening Asked
0: anyway. is the word there. They've only been asked. They're no one's well, been told <laughs> to do it. And those that do take up the offer, I mean there's very generous grants available. People who are watching Room to Improve last night would have seen that.
1: Well I mean those grants can't last forever because obviously the more people switch over to electric cars um, the more those kind of subsidies become economically unviable. And also you have not in, in let's say London you've got these low emission zone areas mm-hmm. and that's telling people you can't drive your diesel cars anymore. But this, this disproportionately affects poorer people because they're the ones least able to yeah. afford to buy a hybrid or an electric car. And, br- and that's yeah. a
0: compulsory policy. To, to, to bring us back then to this idea of debate being shut down, Mark is after texting in, David Quinn has some really good points and some things aren't questioned at all. But then uh, some people uh, just ask questions, he has in inverted commas, as a way to get their malign agenda legitimised. And you, you kind of accepted the fact that, listen, there are racists out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, I mean, how do you... Um, allow for that? Or how, how do you cater for the reality that there are racists who will say, I'm just asking questions?
1: Well, you see, in a free speech society, there is a risk that you've got to take in allowing free speech because, again, um, in curbing free speech, um, all kinds of ideas and questions that are very important don't get asked and don't get aired. Um, and again, we saw that in the Celtic Tiger. We saw that during COVID. There was an opinion poll there yesterday in the Sunday Independent. And I see the number of people who now believe we went too far during COVID is increasing. I mean, there was an OECD report came out last week that the government was boasting about. And it says Ireland over the three years of the pandemic had no excess debts at all. Mm. But neither did Sweden. Sweden never had lockdown. So that's a really crucial point. And Norway didn't either, and Norway wasn't as restrictive as us either. But this wasn't being asked properly during the debate because, again... Uh, Sweden's own,
0: uh, I think, expert review did suggest they should have locked down a little bit harder. They actually said some bigger venues should have closed. They shouldn't allow things yeah, to go ahead. Yeah, so they didn't do anything By right. and large, though, yeah. they accepted that, yeah. you know, they had the uh, right approach. Uh, but. And
1: they never closed down schools. But like the immigration one is obviously the really hot topic debate yeah. at the moment. So that's the one. And there is a genuine far right, and some of them are genuinely racist. And Obviously, you have the absolutely despicable burning down of uh, places that the government has earmarked for asylum seekers, these hotels and so on. So there is an, I mean, there's an understandable fear that if a big debate takes place on immigration and asylum, and, and, and asylum, which are two separate issues, uh, mm. that you are genuinely going to let genuine races off the lease. So this is um, an understandable concern. But the trouble is, if you don't allow the ordinary concerns of ordinary people. For example, I mean, a very obvious question is, um, uh, how many can we cope with at any one time? Uh, so again, in debates about this, um, what I often get accused of is, well, hang on a second. The Bible says, welcome to stranger and you, David Quincy, have a problem with the numbers coming in. And my response uh, to that is, well, do you support open borders? And the answer is almost invariably no. Yeah. And if you don't support open borders, well, then you, you support some kind of a limit. And then... the Debate switches. Well, OK, what should that limit be? And this is the sort of question that ordinary people have and until very recently was forbidden. That if mainstream parties won't address these questions, then unfortunately it's going to push people out towards the far right, as we have seen in other European countries, for example, in the Netherlands recently. And and, and we're probably going to see a lot of it taking place in the June European elections for and, the Parliament.
0: And, and it is your contention to bring us right back around to the start then that... Uh, if you ask that question, what the limit is, that you get accused of racism and thereby the debate is shut down.
1: And being ungenerous and being kind of mean-spirited and all this kind of thing. But in a world of limited resources, um, where, for example, there's limited housing, um, you you know, you've always got to say no to someone. Um, So who doesn't get the housing? Who gets moved down the housing queue if you have very large numbers of people coming into the country? And in respect of the asylum system, I mean, you do have to ask, like... Um, Ireland uh, turns down at the first time of asking only about 20% of asylum applicants. The EU average is 50%. Um, so we turn down far fewer. And then upon appeal, even fewer get turned down. So I think, like, we only turn down about 8% of asylum applications overall. France turns down 92%. Well, alright. Yeah. Um, so I, I think France has probably been too harsh and we are probably being overly generous and naive about how we are applying the uh,
0: rules. As I suspected, David, uh, dividing opinion. Marion and Nace uh, <laughs> says, anyone who asks the so-called wrong questions or is critical in any way of the current system on migration now is automatically far right in people's eyes. Uh, under communism, it was called treason in the West, they've decided you're a racist. Somebody else just simply says, they're choking on their tea listening to you. i <laughs> sure is that a good or a bad thing, but will have to wait and see. 087-1400-106. Well, uh, David Quinn, columnist with the Irish Independent, my guess, on the soapbox at six today, Bresi, Niall Breslin, will be my guest at the same time tomorrow. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddihy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.